We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. They're going to kill the love of my life. Daisy! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome to the Rotowire Basketball Podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports. You can use the promo code ROTOHOOPS on DraftKings. That'll get you a free contest entry today. All right, it is Thursday, November 12th, the year 2015. Nick Whalen here with James Anderson. Um, a lot to talk about today. Uh, obviously, a lot going on in the NBA. 11 games on Wednesday night, just three games on this Thursday. Uh, we'll probably get into a little bit of those, but what we want to focus on more than anything is an article that went up on the site near the end of last week. This is an article that we co-wrote. Um, <clears throat> it's called the Prospect Post, titled NBA Ceilings. So uh, you know you should be able to find that pretty easily we, on the site. We wanted the title to be No Ceilings. No Ceilings. But for, uh, well, right. Well, Lil Wayne's coming up with the uh, No Ceilings two in yeah. like two weeks, right? I'm. I'm not holding my breath, but I'll, I'll probably have to give it a listen just yeah. based on how good the first one was. It seems kind of like a like a last 
hurrah for Lil Wayne. That, like if this flops, that's like, the move. Like when you're a rapper and you're kind of fading into obscurity, you just take your best album and then release that right. volume two. Even the game then, just did it last month. Sure. Not that he was necessarily fading as much. He's as Lil fading. Wayne, but he was. I mean, when, when did the documentary <laughs> one come out? Was it like 2005, 2006? It would have been 05 because I vividly remember being a senior in high school Ooh. when that came out and and just banging. Is the that heck the one where he's sitting on like the tires? <laughs> Well, I think he does a lot of sitting on tires <laughs> on his album covers, um, but yeah, that was the the white background, right. uh, red writing. Yeah, man, that bangers after wow. banger on that wow. one. But, but yeah, he just came out. There's like 30 total songs between the documentary two, and then there's like 2.5 or something. But yeah, either way, this is supposed to be a <laughs> callback. <laughs> well, it, yeah, it was like a yeah, double okay. album. This is supposed to be a callback to Lil Wayne. You know, right. Shout out to No Ceilings, yeah. the great. Great mixtape. Right. Uh, Andrew and, Laird must not be familiar with that mixtape because he changed right, the, our, the Yeah, our editor, headline. Andrew Laird. Um, also now the biggest Chris Dapps Porzingis fan sure. in New York. And that's saying a lot because I think the city of New York, I, I have a friend who... I don't know if that's accurate. I mean, that no? there's probably... I mean, that he's got to be the most popular person in New York, right? right. I, have, I have a friend who works for a golf magazine in New York, and he, he texted me last night. He's like, you honestly wouldn't believe the, like, how much people love Porzingis. He's like, I, he's like, I remember two months ago when, they, you know, when it was preseason, offseason, everybody was worried about him, and they were down on him, and nobody cared. And two weeks into the season, mm-hmm. he's like the most popular athlete in New York. So I saw the nickname floating around, and I think I said this to you last night. People want to call him the Six God. Uh, obviously, that, that's a reference to Drake, but Porzingis is number six, and he does have some very godlike tendencies on the court. Are you, are you on board with with that nickname going forward? I'm fine with that if people want to want to go there. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm 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 cool with that. It, it's it's short and to the point. I don't really want to call him Porzingis for the rest of my life. No, that's Porzingis is not catchy enough. I think no. maybe people felt this way about Dirk Nowitzki back in the day. You know, like he never really. But he's any... get like you just call him Dirk, right? You know, Chris Stapps uh, doesn't Stapps, really no, <laughs> too right. many syllables. Um, but yeah, we'll, I mean, we'll we'll touch on on Porzingis, I'm sure, at some point in the podcast. But again, we want to get back to uh, the article that, like we said, went live on the site. Was it Friday of last week? Thursday, Friday? Yeah, uh, something like that. So basically, what we did is we looked at, you know, we we went through. Uh, kind of assembled a list of what was it initially, 30, 35 guys, all young players who we thought had not quite reached their peak yet. And we wanted to determine essentially if they're at their peak, what is their stat line going to be? You know, kind of what is it going to take for them to get to that peak? And what would that really look like in the general landscape? So it was tough to cut down, uh, you know, to cut the list down to 20. You wrote up 10 guys. I wrote up 10 guys. We kind of did a little draft to determine uh, who got to write about who. Um, but, you know, the guys like Brad Beal weren't included. Um, didn't yeah. include uh, Steph Curry. Curry. Didn't include Damian Lillard. I don't think Durant was included. Well, rightfully so. I right, mean, and, that's, yeah. and that's kind of what we want to get across. Is like, like, yeah, maybe Durant. Durant was an easy non-include right. like, for me. But and I, even Curry, too. It's like, Curry was – Curry will, like – he's playing better, you know, probably yeah. through two weeks than he did at maybe any two-week stretch right. last year. At the year. time that we made this list, he wasn't quite right. at this level. But still, it, I think I – think He's close enough to his peak. Harden, you can throw in that right. category. I mean, guys like LeBron, obviously. I, are. I don't think we wanted to include guys where the next step that they could take was so minute that right. it would be difficult to kind of write about it and it wouldn't be all that useful. I mean, like, you know kind of what – everybody kind of knows what Harden and Curry are, are capable of. Right. So, I mean, this is more kind of guys who yeah, – it's, it's going to be a noticeable jump. Could right, be guys who haven't quite established themselves as, like, bona fide superstars and, and guys that you just know, you know, there's – the floor is so high that 
it really wouldn't be worth, um, you know, going into their ceiling. So, I mean, we went with guys, you know, they definitely skew younger. I think Westbrook was kind of on the borderline. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a guy that just – we saw kind of two different versions of him. Last year's Westbrook with no Durant was so – not drastically different, I guess, but the usage rate was so much higher. You know, seeing him kind of have his own team for the first time uh, was interesting. So I think we got into that a little bit. Um, but, you know, the first guy on our list, if we're kind of just going to go down and, and talk a little bit about each of these guys, was Anthony Davis – Probably the most obvious inclusion. I got it's been off to a pretty rocky start this yeah. season, but uh, did have a 46 point game last week. So, you know, kind of maybe his think, definition of rocky <clears throat> is different than anyone else. Do you think it's fair to just kind of talk about Davis and Towns at the same time? Because I feel like. I don't. I don't know. Like, we, didn't we talk about this last yeah. week? Like, who has the higher upside? Like, I don't. I think. I think Davis's upside I is think, like considerably higher. See, I think I'd give the slight edge to Towns just because I think offensively his offensive ceiling is higher and well i oh, do you remember davis as a rookie yeah like true towns is so much more advanced on that end of the court than davis was as a rookie and that's kind of crazy considering that towns was only playing 20 minutes a game or 18 minutes a game at kentucky and davis was like the you team know, yeah the team so for him to be this advanced this this early to me kind of suggests that there's there's more there on that end of the court defensively I could totally go along with with Davis having having more upside there I just think you know the steals uh the the block shots I think he he might have the edge there but um I honestly like Towns offensive game just kind of I get I get weirded out just sort of (laughs) thinking about it and that's that's definitely the right word like it's it's pretty insane like Davis just this year started kind of becoming a a three-point threat um or at least you know added that to his game to the point where it can be used in games where whereas Towns like as a rookie is going to take you know some threes so uh just people I've always been like high on Davis it just it took him longer to get to the point he is offensively than it's going to take Towns and uh, just kind of I, I also love Towns' situation coming into the league a lot more than Davis's because we've talked about this on the pod before. The Pelicans have done just kind of a terrible job of surrounding him with uh, the right complementary pieces, and we also had kind of a pod idea for maybe a future episode where we just kind of put together the perfect. Uh, supporting players for davis uh, but they, they've done a bad job of that the t-wolves kind of accidentally right. kind of tripped into a situation where towns is going to get to grow up with a bunch of young guys that, that suit him very well i'm certainly not arguing anything against towns i mean he's head and shoulders above where i thought he would be you know a guy that like you said we only saw in limited doses in kentucky and, and obviously he was great in college but i kind of wondered how that would translate to the nba when he's playing you know probably twice as many minutes on a lot of nights I just think he profiles more as like a true four slash five. Like he's a he's a core front court guy. Like I see him developing almost closer to like Blake Griffin, whereas Davis can play like point center. I don't think is Towns mm-hmm. ever going to be at the point where he can just get a rebound and go and make a play in the in the full court like Davis already can. I I, I don't know. I just think Davis has a little I, more versatility offensively. I, I'll give you some versatility, but I I think the stat line is still going to favor towns when it comes to to points uh field goal percentage i think they're gonna he's i think he's got a bit more upside at the free throw line is he already a better like one-on-one post player than davis that would be 
That's that's a tough call. I mean, the fact that it's close just kind of tells you that how much of an edge Towns has there long term. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you in that. Like, well, you compared him to Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin can go coast to coast. Yeah, um, yeah, that's true. That that's that's also something you couldn't do until what maybe last season, season before. So. I think Towns could maybe get there, I guess. It just, he just doesn't have like that freakish frame that I, Davis has that kind of makes you drool. At the very least, they're going to be kind of in there. They're going to have at least four or five years where their peaks overlap, and we're going to yep. get to see them go against each other for a while, and I'm really excited about that. What are you most impressed about that you've seen from Towns? And obviously there are a lot of things to choose from at this point, but what, what single thing defensively or offensively or, or anything otherwise intangibles has impressed you about Towns through these first two weeks? Just how he just fits. Like he, he doesn't have any kind of hesitation when he gets the ball. Like it just, it comes naturally to him. It's not, it doesn't even look like he's going through growing pains, you know, like he just gets the ball, goes to work, like does what he wants to do. And depending on where he has the ball and and it's he doesn't really look like a rookie he kind of looks like a second or third year player and like like we talked about I mean that's really kind of crazy considering his lack of usage at Kentucky so I I definitely am impressed with him obviously I think he's the far and away leader in terms of rookie of the year at this point so um, gonna be very very cool to watch him as the season progresses yeah Tuesday January 19th is the first meeting between Davis uh, and Carl Towns, and that'll be in New Orleans. So certainly one to circle there. Um, I've been most impressed with his jump shooting. I think mm-hmm. you know that big game he had was a couple a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago already. I don't remember who it was even against, but his you know, twenty eight points, fourteen rebounds, whatever it was. Yeah, I went back and watched all of his field goal attempts from that game, and like over half of them, it seemed like at least were from the mid range. And you know, before the draft, there were these videos of him, you know, dribbling and pulling up from three. And I think we both looked at those. And we're like, you know, every prospect has those videos. Right. Everybody can look. Everybody can look good. Willie Cauley Stein was trained in threes and one I know drills. And like videos. what that tells you, what that should tell you is that it's something that he could get to right. down the line. Like right. you're not was, expecting gonna, that right yeah, away. And I don't even think he's attempted a three pointer this season, and that's totally fine. But he looks super comfortable in the the 15 to 20 foot range. Like you said, no hesitation at all. He, he was coming off screens and hitting shots. Like that's stuff you don't see out of rookie big men. Uh, so I think that's what's most impressive. And then the rebounding ability too. I mean, a guy who does have an NBA body considering his age, but most guys aren't able to put up those kind of rebounding numbers on a nightly basis. So I think we've. I mean, he's far and away the, the leader for Rookie of the Year yeah. at this point, especially with what's going on with Russell. Moutier's been good. Um, you just had a big piece on Moutier go up on the site, actually. Um, I think it was this morning, so definitely go and read that if you're a subscriber. Um, but, you know, he's had his issues, and, and Okafor's put up nice numbers, ultimately empty numbers when you look at I the think, Sixers' win total. I think it actually might just come down to Towns versus Porzingis, who we're going to get to in a, in a bit here, just because the, the hype on Porzingis is going to just completely – dwarf yeah, well, any kind of hype that you're going to get yeah, if it was like a like, public vote right. like six god would win like 90 percent to 10 percent. Right. but unfortunately that that's not the case um the next guy on this list russell westbrook you know we touched on him as he was kind of a borderline guy you know he's, he's in that hardened category that curry category where we know what he's going to bring we know mm-hmm. what he is at this point but the ceiling is so high for him and and kind of i think we kind of posed the hypothetical of what if he's not alongside durant long term what if he has his own team like are we going to see the 2014-15 Westbrook where it's just usage rates off the charts, taking 35 shots a game and just kind of see what happens? Well, and I think you're already kind of going to see a career year from him this year because the torch, I think, has officially been passed from Durant to Westbrook in terms of who that team's uh, 
kind of go-to option is. You think it, so? It, I, I do. I've, I've think actually because of the injury? I think it's because of Westbrook's confidence in knowing that what he did last year without Durant and knowing that he's capable of that. And, like, he doesn't feel – I don't think he feels any pressure at all. I mean, you might argue that he never felt that much pressure to defer to Durant, but I don't think no, he – No, I don't think he ever did. Like – and I've I've actually liked Westbrook more than Durant. Like I haven't thought he's better than Durant for a while, but I've liked him as a player more than Durant for a while, just because I I think that just his kind of nature and his attack his attacking style is is really unique and something we don't see that much in the game today. And I, I think that this is kind of Westbrook's team. Like I, I think that you're going to see him probably have like if in a in a fantasy league right now, I'd rather have Westbrook than Durant. So, you know, I think this this is going to be a crazy year for him. And then, like, yeah, like you said, it's all dependent on where does he go when he's a free agent. Do Does Durant sign a one-year deal and, and stick in OKC for another year so that him and, and Westbrook and Ibaka can become free agents at the same time? I think that's interesting. But uh, if Westbrook were to go somewhere, I don't, I don't necessarily know where it would be because you look at, like, the Lakers have been talked about for a while, but they've got – Clarkson and Russell as kind of the the guards they're semi building around that could obviously change they could trade one of those guys but uh if he did have his own team and wasn't concerned about going somewhere with a couple other superstars the numbers could be pretty insane yeah and that's kind of the ultimate ceiling with Westbrook is if he has his own team like we said that's that's where he might ultimately reach that statistical peak and maybe it might not come from a wins perspective I mean he was able to do what he did last season but they didn't make the playoffs and I think you know, if he say like say he goes to an, if he's on an Eastern Conference team like quote unquote by himself, you know, if you mm-hmm. if you put Russell Westbrook on like the Celtics, they're a shoe in for the playoffs, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So I mean, I think part of it was, you know, that he wasn't obviously able to get the Thunder there by himself last season. They had some moving parts. They brought in Cantor. They brought in brought in Singler. Obviously, Durant was hurt. Ibaka was banged up. There were a lot of things going on there. But you know, I would I would personally selfishly love to see him on his own team for a full season. Did you know that he? Leads the league in assists per game. Right I now. did. Yeah, that's, I did, that's pretty cool. Uh, that is cool. Is, it, is he still over 10 a game? Yeah. Wow. Uh, 10.8, I think. Jeez. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty pretty sweet. I, I took him and Chris Paul in a league because I was like, i got to get Chris Paul's assists, and Westbrook has really kind of outperformed him by a mile so right. far. All right, so Andrew Wiggins, another guy on this list. We had him projected as his peak statistical – output uh and you wrote up wiggins in the article 28.7 rebounds four and a half assists just under two steals a block 48 percent shooting 36 percent uh from three and then 85 percent from the line i think those are all really fair um i think that points per game like i think that's fairly cautious on your end if you know if I, we didn't want to yeah. go overboard with a lot of these you know it's like it's it's not hard we could have we could have said westbrook would average 35 sure. a game. like he could have but you know, I think 28 for Wiggins seems right. We've seen, you know, the, the leading scorers in the league, if, I feel like, it's, generally have kind of gone down. Right, right. You know, like, in the, I mean, T-Mac led the league in, what, like, 3 4 with, like, 32 a game, and no one's really even come close to that. I think the the reason I, I kept it under 30 for Wiggins is that he's sort of a unique uh, budding superstar in that he's kind of comfortable getting a lot of his shots in just the the flow of the offense or via the rebound I mean he's not a guy that's going to be a chucker I don't think at any point in his career so and that's uh, that's kind of you almost have to be and I don't think Harden's a chucker but I think he's like the closest thing to those like mid 2000s 
chuckers like like well, Iver, like Iverson and McGrady. I mean, Kobe might be the closest thing, to, <laughs> but but uh, <laughs> Kobe's well, not Car- on the list. Carmelo. I mean, Carmelo's yeah. kind of in that category too. Um, but yeah. but like Wiggins is like he yeah i mean his his efficiency is going to be excellent when he's when he's putting up uh, 25 plus a night so i uh, love that about him love uh, his rebounding potential especially since he'll be qualifying at at shooting guard uh the the one thing i i kind of wish i could have projected higher was his defensive stats just based on his frame you know i kind of look at him as having uh you know he's obviously not as muscular as Scottie Pippen, but kind of a, a similar uh, frame and wingspan. And I just don't see the potential there for two steals a game, uh, just based on what, what he did his rookie year and and one block per game. I feel like it should be more than that too, just based on the guys he's going to be guarding and his athletic advantage and height advantage and wingspan advantage. But I just haven't really seen. Like when he came into the league, I thought he was gonna eventually be like a two and two guy there. Yeah, like I, it, it was kind of crazy that athleticism. Yeah. yeah. So, but I don't really see that anymore. Where do you see him as a playmaker? Ultimately, I almost feel like playing alongside a pass first, ball dominant guy like Rubio kind of eliminates mm-hmm. his potential for assists. You know, like, you don't want to make this comparison to anybody, but you know he was next LeBron coming out of high school and. You watch LeBron even from his rookie year; it was right. you know, five assists per game, and obviously that went up into six, seven per game as he as he got older. Like, is Wiggins ever going to approach anywhere near that territory? Like, no. I don't know if he has like the passing gene. I actually, I well, I, I definitely don't think he does. And I, I went back and forth with how many assists I was going to pro- project him for for a while. I ended up settling at four and a half. I could honestly see him never even getting there because he's going to do so much stuff in the post too, where. It's just going to be move, move, bucket, and the double team's not going to have time to really get there. So It's I, hard to rack up assists when you're and, not dominating the ball. And he's like so dominant is. in transition that he's not – like anytime he gets the ball in transition, he's the one that's going to be scoring right. it. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't really see a ton of upside there, but he's one of those guys that's going to contribute across the board. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Blake Griffin, he's kind of in that Russell Westbrook category as well, a known commodity at this point, but – Still a, a relatively young player, um, you know, a guy who obviously didn't play his rookie season. So five years in the league, he's still 26 years old. You'd think, you know, maybe two or three years away from his absolute peak. And He probably has to be taken seriously as a MVP candidate yes. this year. If Curry, if Curry cools off significantly at any point or gets injured, God right. forbid, Griffin's probably the next guy right now. I mean, you look at through eight games, 28 points, four assists, half a block. 10 rebounds, you know, shooting 56%. And, that's by far a career high. And I could see there's there's definitely going to be a narrative there if say say the Warriors don't push for 70 wins and they just kind of do what they did last year and the Clippers kind of handle handle that 2 seed and get that that taken care of with maybe a, a week or so to to go in the season and Chris Paul kind of stays sort of mediocre relative to past Chris Pauls we've seen uh, then I think Griffin really is a pretty easy guy for for a writer to kind of justify voting for there. Yeah, the Chris Paul thing might be the biggest factor for Griffin because you know not that Griffin ever would have won it the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. I think he's been close. Harden and Curry were definitely ahead above him last year, but you know the kind of would he be as good without Chris Paul talk is starting to subside. I think it's pretty clear that Blake Griffin would be good no matter what. Um, and if he ever was on a team without Chris Paul and say had his his point guard was you know, like a George Hill type of point guard, like Griffin's 
assist numbers and and you kind of touched on that with the projection here like he's a really good passer and six assists is not crazy i mean he no. averaged 5.3 yeah. over a full season last like, year i mean that's not crazy and at all. chris paul's dominating the ball there so i mean yeah. like if he's on a team where the offense is kind of just running through him on every single possession then yeah i mean that's that's definitely within range right and yeah i kind of hope those assist numbers would carry over from the playoffs last year i mean that's when we really saw griffin mm-hmm. take off and thus far this season I mean, he has two games with six assists already one with five Hasn't quite been there, but you know, the rebounding has been huge. At least eight rebounds in every game, five games with double-digit rebounds. And, and this is on a team with DeAndre Jordan, who just vacuums up rebounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and a lot of times in the NBA, you watch games night in, night out. Teams don't often crash the boards on certain types of shots, and there are a lot of uncontested rebounds, and that goes into this. And when, like I said, when you have a guy like Drummond or DeAndre Jordan, those guys kind of suck up a lot of those rebounds. And if there was a less athletic center on that Clippers team, I think Griffin's rebounding rate would be quite a bit higher right I think I think Blake and DeAndre complement each other perfectly and I think Chris Paul and DeAndre complement each other perfectly but I don't think Blake and Chris Paul uh, are just a perfect match obviously no. you you're not going to complain if you're the Clippers but uh, would like to see him maybe on a team with uh, a point guard that wasn't so involved in the offense I think they used to be a better match when Griffin wasn't as good offensively, almost mm-hmm. if that makes sense, because like he was just he yeah, was more he of like get a lob easy finisher. Buckets, like, yeah. like DeAndre Jordan is a perfect match for Chris Paul because right. DeAndre Jordan wouldn't really do much without mm-hmm. a point guard that could feed him the ball precisely. And he allows situations. his defense allows Paul to take chances on the perimeter. And uh, you know, I think Griffin and Jordan are perfect together because Griffin isn't much of a rim protector, and it's also they can do that big man oop uh, yep. play, which is the probably the toughest play to defend in basketball thing about Griffin is that I mean I'm sure you remember when he came into the league in whatever 2010 you know he sat out that rookie year with the knee injury it was you know the biggest everything about him was dunks like he was Mm -hmm. a dunker first and a basketball player second and he still is good for several of those per year and usually several per game Um, but he doesn't make it as you know his focus isn't dunking on everybody anymore you know he's just as comfortable knocking down 17 footers and I noted that in the article 41 percent of his shots came from the long mid-range last season. So that's 16 to 23 feet. Is that is that good? I mean, he he, he was he shot a decent percentage from that from that range and obviously it forces defenders to come out and opens up other things, but I mean, do you want that many shots from that area when you're as good as he is in the post? I think that that's fine because he's so efficient relative to to the rest of the league there and if you watch Clippers games defenses give him that shot all the time because that's really you know if he gets switched on to you know a bigger clunkier guy or a smaller guy like that shot's always going to kind of be there for him so I, I think that he's got to just keep taking that when he's open and not force the issue by driving into two defenders in the post so what about DeMarcus Cousins um yeah, probably the most controversial guy I, that on the pod well I we'll probably DeMarcus have Cousins, multiple Cousins arguments this season and it's not because I I don't consider myself a, a hater, but relative to where you are, I guess I kind of am. <laughs> You're not a lover? <laughs> no, I think I would love to see DeMarcus Cousins in a competent organization with a competent coach and a competent GM just, just because it's tough to evaluate him. I mean, this the Sixers are the Sixers. This is where we're at at this point. <laughs> I was going to say the Kings are like the closest thing to the Sixers in the Western Conference. They're like unintentionally Except that becoming, they don't they don't know they're bad. They right, they're like unintentionally they becoming be the bad. Sixers. Right. And they have, they're accidentally, yeah. They have this like godsend piece on a great contract mm-hmm. in DeMarcus Cousins, and they're just continuing to waste it and waste it. And obviously Cousins, 
you know, there are some issues on his end. The report earlier this week that he's F-bombing George Carl in meetings, like you can't do stuff like that. And that's something you have to right. factor in in a player's long-term potential. But, I mean, we'll start we'll start with his current landscape. I mean, do you want – I shouldn't say do you want. Do you think he'll be traded at some point this season? Um, and I I would say that there's about a – 40% chance he gets dealt and I think it would be higher if I had more faith in their front office but you have to look at the team like yeah he, the team's better when he's out there but they've never even come close to contending with him so at that point I think you just got to kind of start over uh, no reason to believe that you're going to be a championship contender before his contract is up and at that point, now is the time when you could get the biggest haul for him. Uh, you kind of shot yourself in the foot with the George Carl thing because teams are going to look at the situation and think you, you're trying to move him, like you need to move him, and maybe the offers might come in a little low, but uh, still think it, it could really be a, a perfect chip to move to kind of rebuild the, the organization. Like you look at like the Jazz trading Darren Williams, that, that obviously helped them kind of get things turned in the right direction. They haven't been contenders, but you look at the health of the Jazz organization versus the health of the Kings organization, pretty drastically different uh, yeah. there. Uh, you just kind of have to move these guys. When, when it gets to this point where you're not close to contending and he's really the only guy on that team that could bring back anything useful – uh, and then after you moved Cousins, you could move Gay, and you'd probably have to eat some of that salary. But, um, you know, you'd, you'd be able to move a lot of these other guys and really kind of make a push. Although we, we talked about this the other day. They don't have – they're not in a good spot draft-wise. So no, they are not. They need to get, acquire picks. They can't really rely on their pick turning right. into a superstar. It's kind of like the Kevin Love situation. Obviously, that's a little different because Love – was going to be a free agent so he kind of he had a little more leverage i think than cousins does because cousins is on such an right. affordable deal that like sacramento as in they really don't have any pressure to well, trade him he had leverage like yeah he could yeah he could ask for a trade i mean demarcus cousins could ask for a trade and they would just how is kind he of, not by the way like does I, he i mean maybe this is not fair to demarcus cousins but like of all players that you would expect to demand a trade by now like how is he not I, maybe he hasn't considered it maybe he's done so behind closed doors um the the love thing is tough because we were talking about possible returns for cousins and that was just the perfect storm for the t-wolves to take advantage of because of the lebron thing where he needed another guy to try to win i don't know if anything like that will ever that's that's that was unbelievable hard to you know you can't expect to get a wiggins guy like type of guy back for cousins but you could get a pick uh, maybe two picks and just kind of hope that you, you hit on a couple of those with guys that are second or third mm-hmm. options. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, hard to hard to do any better than the love return. So you talked about at the beginning of this conversation, the Kings are 11-37 and 37 when Cousins sits due to injury. That's 23% mm-hmm. winning uh, percentage. But they only win 34% of their games when he plays. So, like, it's not a drastic difference. And obviously that speaks a lot to the people around him and the organization. But looking at their future drafts, you know, if you're talking about trading him, they are in a bad spot. Other than the Brooklyn Nets, there's no team that's in a worse future spot than than Sacramento. They, the Celtics. Let's see. I'm trying to. This is like this is just ridiculously complicated, even. But well, the the Nets are in a worse. Yeah, yeah. Other said. than the Nets. Yeah. Oh, you said the that. Nets okay. don't own a pick yeah, yeah, until yeah. 2019 or something like that. I mean, they the Nets give up that pick outright 
to Boston mm-hmm. this year. And the Nets did just beat Houston last night, so who yeah. knows what that's about. Look but that's going to be a bottom five pick, and the Celtics are going to get that pick. But <clears throat> when you look at teams, like Boston's been the, really the only team that seems like an obvious trade, right? Like, have you really have you seen any other teams that have been thrown out there consistently as Boston has? Uh, no, but I, I don't know. I I kind of look at the the pieces there, and I'm I don't know if the, they'd be willing to move that Nets pick. I think they they probably would, but you're basically saying what's more valuable, Demarcus Cousins right now, or a potential number one, number two, number three pick that could be better than Demarcus Cousins? If it's me. I'm willing to just take Cousins. And I think maybe the right. character issues are something that they're weighing in, but what are the chances that and I think Ben Simmons becomes better than peak DeMarcus Cousins? And that's uh, – you can bet on Brad Stevens there too. Like I think Stevens is a smart enough guy to understand how to motivate uh, Cousins, how to you know get in Cousins' corner to the point where he can try to maximize his abilities there. Um, yeah, I, I think I'd probably do that, but – I mean, you got to assume that the the Celtics have talked long and hard about this. If if they like that offer, you got to assume they've already kind of made that offer, or at least thrown it out there. Uh, I'm never gonna rule out a team like the Rockets in in something like this just because of their assets. They would totally do that. Oh yeah, they would love to get Cousins. Uh, you know, a lot of even like my, I, even like Miami. I think every team would like to get Cousins. Yeah, uh, it's just. What what kind of assets? The Celtics do you are have? just the obvious team because they have a bunch of young players, and even though none of those guys are like are like big time assets, you know, if you're if you're mm-hmm. playing 2K, Marcus Smart is like a three and a half star trade Gross. asset. Gross, and, yeah, and that might I'd... be being generous. But the Celtics have their own pick in this upcoming 2016 draft. You look at where they're at right now; that probably falls somewhere between 12 and 16, something like that. Um, they have the Mavericks pick, which is top seven protected. So Mavericks finish bottom seven; they keep that pick. Uh, but I mean, they're playing better, I think, than people expected, and they, they they'll probably be a borderline bottom seven team. So when it's all said and done, that might be another additional pick for Boston. They might get the Timberwolves pick as well. That's top twelve protected. I think you know as the season goes on and things kind of iron out in the West, mm-hmm. Timberwolves probably fall in the lottery. Uh, so I mean, decent chance Boston ends up with those three picks, but I'd say the Timberwolves probably end up holding onto that one. Either way, they also have that unprotected pick from Brooklyn. So. They kind of have a war chest of picks. They have future picks from Brooklyn coming, too, that they could trade. Uh, and then they have guys like Smart, James Young. Um, yeah, Is there anyone on that roster who's, like, really untouchable? There's nobody on that roster who I would view as, like, a guy that I'm targeting in a Cousins trade, which is well, why. Like, I think the pick right. is the main target. Right, but right. You, wouldn't, you wouldn't be upset if you had to bring back that, a pick, another pick, and then, like, Marcus Smart. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I'm definitely on the record of not being a yeah. big smart guy, but I I think, you know, another team that might be a little sneaky here could be, and and I doubt the Kings would have any interest in dealing with them, but the Lakers, oh, just yeah. just because of the the young assets they have, if it was something like Ron Adive is probably like trying to get Kobe on this team right now. I mean, <laughs> oh Jesus, <laughs> um, if it was like Russell and a pick or something like that i mean that that could be interesting uh, yeah but i but like i said i doubt the lakers would. the thing is the lakers might have to give up their pick oh right right right, right. So, like, yeah. they, they might not even have that option until yeah. until the 2017 draft so yeah a lot of mess to talk about there uh smarter people with more insight on the kings tom ziller had a great article on sb mm-hmm. nation read that uh, a lot more insight a lot more clarity on that cousin situation uh, but i'm interested to see how that plays out Kawhi leonard he's on this list 
24 points per game, 8.5 rebounds, 3 assists, 2.5 steals, 49% shooting, 40% from 3, and then over a block a game we project as his peak. I mean, you were the one who wrote up, Leonard. I'll let, I'll let you start on him. Yeah, so he's he's such an enigma because when he wants to kind of take over offensively, it, it's really fun to watch. Like, he's so efficient. He, he never does kind of stupid things. Uh, rarely do you see him sort of force anything, but he can still go get 20 if, if he's getting enough touches. Uh, this is... The, the the Tony Parker sort of falling off a cliff thing kind of is going to help him this year and going forward because the Spurs don't really have solid uh, point guard options internally unless they somehow convert Kyle Anderson there long term and you know Leonard could just kind of be sort of a like a, a hub kind of like the way we were sort of talking about Blake Griffin where a lot of stuff kind of runs through him and the thing you would love from a fantasy perspective is he's the best defensive player in the league right now, and the, so those numbers are going to be great. Uh, the The shooting percentages are going to be great though too. Like he's he's never going to turn in like a forty two percent from the field type of year, which which a lot of go to options are, are capable of. So uh, really, just a, a complete across the board contributor. Maybe not in assists, but the rebounding too for the position is going to be like top two or three. He's like the most quiet superstar I can ever remember, right? I mean, I watched part of that game uh, last night. That was the late game on ESPN against Portland, and he had a scary fall in that game. I don't know if you saw the highlight of that, but he he drove from left to right, and basically, I mean, we know everything about his hands. Basically, just cupped the ball and slammed mm-hmm. it, and then <laughs> kind of slipped on the rim and fell directly on his elbow. But typical Kawhi fashion, just kind of sat there, helped his helped himself up, and mm-hmm. got right back in the play. But I mean, he's an assassin at this point on both ends and it's just it's crazy I, I still don't know though if he's capable like if he's not on the spurs you know let's say he's let's say that pacers trade never happens and he's mm-hmm. he's in indiana george hill's still in san antonio or whatever is could he ever ever be a number one option for a team offensively well not over paul george probably like no right and, and i mean like yeah george Dif- I mean, so different, different different scenario right. uh i i think he could be i think that it's hard to just know because the Spurs are so Spursy. Like we right. don't really know how much they're trying to get him to take over. If he, if he's like completely unwilling and they're they've been trying to get him to take over for a while, then maybe no. But I think that his the fact that he's been to so many finals as kind of a guy that just picks his spots, you could see that that get that could get ingrained in him where he doesn't feel the need to ever do that because he knows it's possible to to reach the finals without him, him with him just being a good teammate so uh you know his his dna has definitely been altered by being a spur this long but I, I do think he has the the game at least to be a, a 23 24 and that guy he also seems like the perfect spur in a lot of ways you know understated guy never a guy who's who seems like he's very interested in being you know a number one guy having his own team it, I think of it as tie game but 10 seconds left would you want the ball in Kawhi's hands going one-on-one against you know another big defender like one-on-one against a guy like Paul George like do you trust Kawhi Leonard in that situation as much as you trust you know a true number one option like Harden Curry what you know LeBron Durant well I don't trust him as much as like Harden or Curry or Durant but that's not a slap in the face. No, to not at all. I'm just saying, but, like, but I mean, I think he's that good yeah. everywhere else. I that, think like, is he is he still a step below I, that? I would reasons? be completely comfortable if I'm the Spurs and we've got we need a bucket and there's like eight seconds left. 
I'm not worried at all if Kawhi's going one on one there because I I think that he's gonna yeah, athletically he's gonna at least get a solid look. You know, he can do a step back, uh, possibly draw a foul. I mean, I think there's there's a lot of ways that you can win that game for you. Yeah, and I think he's underrated as a smart player in the way he played. You know how, mm-hmm. how efficient he is. I mean, shooting fifty three percent from the field, thirty five percent from three, getting to the line three times a game. And he's up he's up over twenty one points a game this year pretty quietly and guy I think that i'm is... i'm really mad at myself for not just aggressively going after him in in fantasy this year but that's yeah it's, well it's gonna be interesting post duncan post ginobili post parker spurs who knows where aldridge is at that point um it's gonna be interesting you know to see if he ever kind of does get handed the keys mm-hmm. to the to the spurs lamborghini at some point john wall on this list um i think he's firmly um Maybe not in, a, in a, as like a player. I think he's maybe a slight, slightly below Westbrook. You know the other the guys we've been mentioning the whole podcast, the super superstars. In this Would league. you rather have John Wall or Demarcus Cousins? Oh my gosh, because I'd rather have Wall. Um, I think I'd rather have Cousins because it's a little bit easier to find a replacement level player at the point guard spot. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say you could find a player as good as John Wall at the point guard spot, but I think you could you can find a more passable guy to play point guard for you than you can to find a dominant big man. All right. That's, but that's fair. That, that said, I, you can't go wrong with either of those guys really. Um, do you think, well, what about like wall or Westbrook? Is that even a real question? I'd take Westbrook. Okay. Um, right. Correct. Well, so when I was writing up wall, uh, the, you know, the, the, op, the case that makes it kind of easy to argue that he hasn't peaked yet, peaked yet is that he has shown the ability in like each of the past three seasons to do a few things like really, really well, but he hasn't uh, matched all those things up in the same season. So like we saw in 2013, 14, where he, he shot 35% from three, uh, hasn't really approached that in either of the past in this year or last year, but we know that it's, it's a possibility this year he's taken 4.3 a game from there and shooting 26%. I expect that to kind of go up, uh, we've seen him get to 10 assists per game last year. Uh, so, I mean, if he does that and is shooting well from three, then we're talking about a really special player this year at two, two and a half steals and 1.9 blocks a game. I mean, that's pretty insane. That's, that's not going to say numbers. That's, for a point guard. that's not going to keep up obviously, but that just shows you what's possible there. Like he has an average five block game. This yeah. Season. He like, hasn't averaged a block per game yet in his career. And we definitely know that that's possible. I would, you know, I mean, uh, so that's that's great. He hasn't gotten over two steals a game yet either, and so we know that that's also a possibility. So once, if he's able to line all those uh, traits up in the same season, I, I definitely think it's going to be you know top top five or six fantasy year. I think the biggest thing for him is the jump shot, you know, and the the shooting percentage what? is something that you kind of goes hand in like hand. Like what with happened? That. What happened two years ago know. where he was able to be. You know, thirty five percent from a guy like Wall is on four attempts take a that, game. Take that all day. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean that's huge. But you know, last year thirty percent, so a, you know, a bit of a regression there. But you'd like to just kind of see what what was he doing? Was did he tinker with a shot at all? Like if you can get back to there, watch him then, shoot, I don't. He he kind of has a he pushes it a little yeah. bit. It always looks like he like the ball is on his palm a little bit more than maybe it should be. And we've I, seen guys be able to like late in their career really kind of fine-tune the, the three-point stroke right. with guys like Jason Kidd but uh, if I think athletic that, point guards often struggle yeah like uber athletic guys like Wall and I mean Westbrook's the same way I think Wall's a better career three-point shooter than Westbrook um, and you know guys like that kind of tend to I think he is barely um, 
But yeah, I mean, Westbrook's kind of, I think, maybe not overrated in that respect, but like he hits so many like big threes at big times that you just kind of assume that he's a really good three point shooter when in reality, his average is kind of. Westbrook's, Westbrook's got him by just a nose. What is he? 30.5 30. to 30.4. Oh, okay. But yeah, you're right. I mean, like, I don't think we think of Westbrook as quite as bad a shooter as, no. as we do Wall. But. You would never, you would never say Russell Westbrook has a broken jumper like you, like people would have and have said about about John Wall. When in reality, they're probably closer than it looks. I think it's because Westbrook takes it with such confidence. Yeah, like and he and we've seen Westbrook hit like dagger threes right. because he's so confident about it. Like John Wall doesn't have that confidence in his in his jump shot. Like I don't think you're going to see John Wall you know catch and shoot from no. the corner falling out of bounds Never. to win the game you know i mean nope. that's that's not gonna he happen. does a lot of his work you know high pick and roll gortado right. set a screen he'll take a dribble and shoot and you know it's kind of it's literally been hit or miss um so we're five plus years into john wall's career has he lived up to expectations has he met expectations has he fallen short of expectations number one pick coming out of kentucky in 2010 he's definitely lived up i think uh, he has if, if not exceeded i think at this point um, well, the big thing was injuries coming in you know 60 69 games as a rookie 66 that next year uh that might have been which year was the lockout shortened year 11 12 or 12 13 i think it was 11 12 11 12 yeah yeah so maybe that explains that but 49 games in 2012 13 when he had the knee issue but finally being able to stay on the court he's missed three games only over the past two seasons so that's been big but i think i think he's certainly like and i at think the minimum met expectations from an intangible standpoint too like he's like a legit leader of that team yep uh a guy that you want to be leading your team like yep. I, I think that that would have been possibly a question coming out of kentucky just given the issues surrounding his recruitment uh right. some some stuff he there. was never quite like demarcus cousins territory but there were question marks you just I kind of thought he might just be one of those sort of quiet guys that just kind of went along with the flow kind of and didn't really you know just just went out there got his his 18 and 8 or whatever and and you didn't really notice him in the huddle or anything like that but that's definitely not the case. Yeah, and I think that that was kind of the case his rookie year and that's you know as mm-hmm. a rookie that happens to a lot of guys but yeah, it was pretty clear year 2, year 3 even those even though those weren't very good Wizards teams back then um that he was going to he was ready to be the leader of that team and there are some veterans on on that the, club, but the best is when Randy Whitman calls like a player or whatever at the end of a game, and you see the look on John Wall's face as he's like walking back out from the huddle, and it's just like kind of like shaking his head and rolling his eyes and trying to think of a way that he can sort of salvage the disaster that's about to take place. This one and a half steals, one and a half blocks, fifty-two percent shooting, and then maybe generously thirty-five percent from three. And, <laughs> I think he can reach that 35% plateau. The, the question is, how many attempts is he going to take? You know, Blake Griffin shot 40% from three last year, but he attempted, like, you know, less than one every two games. Yeah. I, I'm i just so worried about him in terms of three-point shooting. It keeps you up at Like, night. why? I don't get why he just doesn't just let it rip, man. Like, Did you, you know, see that screenshot yeah, that I tweeted last night? I mean, he... There was a play last night, and Giannis took three three-pointers in this game. So, like, the comfortability is there. I don't think he took yeah. three in, like, more than one or two games last season. Like, he has improved. I'm not saying he hasn't. But there was a play last night where he took a pass. Like, it was a – I think it was Ennis dumped it off to him or Vasquez on a pick-and-roll. Caught on the wing, just wide open. His man, J.J. Hickson, Defensive Player of the Year, was down <laughs> doubling Greg Monroe for some reason. Not even doubling, just, like, standing yeah. there. Didn't even run out at Giannis. Like, there was a clear 20-plus feet, and – and he didn't even think about taking the shot. He just immediately caught 
dribbled directly into the lane right at Hickson, tried one of his you know crazy spin moves, got called for a travel. It was an obvious travel. There was no question about it. And I mean, if you're going to take a dribble and shoot a 15-footer, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But like, just why? Like the comfortability yeah. still isn't there for him, and that's a problem. Yeah, we'll we'll have to see how that kind of progresses. I thought you might have been a little. A little low, maybe on the rebounds and the assists, but I, yeah. I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I, I think that he's a rebounds guy. Probably. Maybe not both of them, but I think he could either develop into a guy that that averages ten boards a game or a guy that averages like six assists a game. And I just don't know which. I don't think he'd be both of those, but like I, I don't know. He could. Yeah, could that's go true. In I think it could be like Wall, where like one season he would average, you know, six assists. Next season sure. he would average nine and a half yeah. rebounds. Yeah, something like that. So. Definitely. Is he the guy? Let's see. Is he the guy on this list who's who's the farthest away from uh, what we have him projected at? Maybe not. No, because like there's some guys. Yeah, there's some guys. But uh, of the guys we've talked about so far, uh, he's the guy that probably requires the most projection here. Yeah, I think so. I think he's shown enough though in eight games this year that he's taking noticeable strides, and you know he's attempting twelve and a half shots a game. I think that's probably right about what Milwaukee wants and. They don't play at the fastest pace. They have a guy in Monroe who's kind of a volume scorer, a volume shooter in the post. You got guys like Middleton. That's that's the kind mm-hmm. of thing when you have so many bright young assets, you, it's hard for one guy to kind of dominate the ball as much as maybe a lot of people want onto the Kumbo to, to take 15, 16 shots a game. It's just really not realistic. Um, but, yeah, the rebounding I've been impressed with. The playmaking has been good. Um, blocks are something I think will come. He's at under one per game right now through through eight games, and – I just don't know what position he is, and that's kind of maybe what's going to depend on it. You know, a lot of his blocks come in chase-down situations. He had two of those last night. Um, but he's really not a guy who often finds himself defending in the post, and partially that's because he's he's usually taller and almost always longer than anyone that he's guarding, and most guys really don't even challenge him down there. Yeah, I I think that it he's just one of those guys, kind of like Lamar Odom, that's never really going to have a – his no. position is determined by the players around him yep. on his team. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think I don't – I'm not that worried about that. I actually didn't realize he was shooting 35% from three this year. That's well, that's the thing, though. But, but you know, 2.1 attempts, right? And it's it's a it's a it's small a good sample, number, but, but you like, want him yeah. for a guy that projects long term. I think as a, as more of a small forward, he has to be able to catch and shoot when mm-hmm. he's open. It it can't just be a whenever I'm wide wide open and there's no pressure, maybe I'll slowly launch one. Like he has to be able to catch and shoot quickly in tough situations if he's going to be a star player in this league. Right. That's what that's what separates star players is that they make those kind of shots. They're willing to take those kind of shots, and he hasn't shown that willingness yet. All right. Uh, yeah, Russell, D'Angelo Russell, the guy, the next guy on the list, I, I wrote him up. Uh, really kind of a – Kind of a bust. Controversial you know? guy This this <laughs> at this point in the season. I mean, a lot's been written <laughs> about stock him. stock has, like, plummeted uh, over, over a two-week span. And it's it's just a shame, you know? Like, you go to a team – like, the Lakers were terrible last year. Like, it's not terrible. like they just kind of, like, lucked into that pick via, via some sort of trade or something. like. I mean, he, he went to a team that was terrible and, like, needed a player like him on it, and yet – because of what's going on with the Lakers right now, he's kind of getting treated like, I don't know, like their sixth or seventh man. I mean, he starts, but uh, really just a terrible situation for him to be on, be in because he's got guys who he could develop bad habits from. Uh, he's like got who? <laughs> Not like Kobe or like Nick Young or yeah, Lou Williams yeah, or anything. No, right? not those guys. Uh, got a coach who really just – has no idea how to how to coach in this this current basketball environment. Uh, 
Byron Scott would have been like the greatest coach in the eighties. I mean, yeah, he would have just been a prototypical coach yeah. back then. I had to run to my car. I had to move my car last night. I was parked in a spot. Um, you know, when I came home from work, that I had to move it before this morning. So I, I ran out to my car at like midnight last night to move it quick. Turned on the radio while I was doing that. And this was pretty much right after the Lakers game had finished up. And whoever somebody was calling in, I think it was Freddie Coleman's show on ESPN. Somebody was calling in. It was like. Man, if there was a coaching efficiency rating, Byron Scott's would be negative 110,000. Right. I mean, that's pretty accurate. We kind of talked about this at lunch the other day, but just not playing him. He he said he didn't play him because the game was like out of hand. Playing Russell, that is. Right. We're referring to what? I think it was Tuesday night when they lost to somebody. And then, I mean, last night, I think he played uh, most of the fourth quarter, or at least least half of it, but it's just the, the. the situation there is so terrible that I, I almost think if, if anyone's drawing any conclusions about that Russell pick or how good Russell's going to be based on almost anything that happens this year, uh, I think you're kind of missing the boat. I think we we need Bryant to retire. We need Byron, Byron Scott to get <laughs> to out of retire. there before before maybe those two can retire together. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, before we can really make judgments, I think we need to kind of see that that situation kind of change there and. The thing about Byron Scott that really upsets me the most is like not not even his decisions on the court. It's how he justifies those decisions with just like ludicrous quotes right. that don't right. even make sense. And right. he just he like backtracks on his own. Yeah, like how can you justify not playing D'Angelo Russell for an entire fourth quarter, but Nick Young plays the entire fourth quarter? Like, mm-hmm. and I, I feel like reporters are asking the right questions generally, and he he just gives these like snarky kind of backhanded responses. Like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, so Do I. You? Like, I projected Russell for 24 points, five and a half rebounds, 10 and a half assists, two steals, half a block, uh, 46% from the field, 36 from three, 85 from uh, free throw line. The the assists are kind of the big selling point here. Like his numbers, I mean, those numbers should remind you of, of like Chris Paul, basically. Like if you're just kind of looking at uh, – what he's doing in, in the, the main point guard categories and kind of how he's he's going to be okay but not like elite from three-point range mm-hmm. uh, but it's just it's going to take a while like if you took Russell with hopes of kind of winning your league this year that's probably not going to work out all that well but nope. I think you know three years from now Russell could be one of the four or five best point guards in the league who is his closest comparison if you look at kind of guys who are close to their prime or in their prime past or present you know, right now, I don't know if he, he's not quite Chris Paul to me, um, and he's not quite John Wall either. Similar size to John Wall, not quite that crazy quickness. I think he's probably maybe a better passer than John Wall was at this point in his career for sure. Doesn't have that athleticism necessarily. I don't like Mike Conley comes to mind, and maybe that's just because they're both left-handed. Mm, I don't really see that, just because I think Russell is going to be sort of more ball dominant. Than, than Conley is. Uh, I love Conley. I, I can't really think of a guy just because I mean, it's tough. Like I think he's a mixture of a lot of guys because like he's not he's not like the blur in the open court like John Wall, right. is, but he's a better half court point guard. I think he could he could be a better half court point guard than Wall. Yeah, I kind of see. I know the. I know the the Chris Paul comp doesn't doesn't work just on an aesthetics level. Like if right. you watch those two guys play, it doesn't really look the same at all. But I just think stat-wise, the it's a it's a comp that works pretty well. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know guys because his his passing ability mixed with his 
uh, scoring potential is is kind of rare. Like the fact that like he's kind of like John Wall with the potential for a jump shot, and but yet you you made a good point about the open court stuff. So uh, hard to kind of come up with a, a proper comp there. That might be a better one. I think Kyrie's a much better three point shooter and much more confident three point shooter. That's become right. a bigger part of his game over the last couple of years, but. I mean, Kyrie is certainly not a blur in the open court, but he's very good. I think he's Russell's a, a better passer, passer than, yeah. than Kyrie. They but... both kind of have like that, mm-hmm. a little bit of like a fancy yeah. thing to their game, yeah, yeah, too, yeah. where they're not yeah. like they can make, and Chris Paul has that as well, you know, where they can use kind of those street ball moves to the point where mm-hmm. they're not just going full Ray for Olsen and they're actually like effective when right. they use them. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, Russell's kind of got. If you just watch some of the passes he made at Ohio State, I mean, uh, he's yeah. got kind of like a Rondo esque. Yeah, like, that, kind of yeah. Passing it, it would almost yeah. He's almost like a mix of Rondo. Oh, I don't even want to. I don't want to put that on him, but like Rondo, Wall, Kyrie, <laughs> just all these some like, bad and guards. some good yeah, parts. Yeah, right. <clears throat> some bad and some good parts of all three of those guys. And unfortunately, it might be a couple and of years until we actually get to see him on leash. Nothing really kind of pisses me off more than when people like make snap judgments on Russell, like people talking. You know, it's well, even like all the Porzingis talk. You know, like right. that that quote from Byron Scott. You know, oh, we didn't think Porzingis was going to be ready, but it looks like he is. And everybody's like, oh, why didn't we take Porzingis? Like, if the Lakers would have taken Porzingis, however many months ago, they would have found was, a way that, to screw it up. Right. Well, maybe that and like people wouldn't have been. You know, hindsight is twenty twenty in, in these situations, and Porzingis is shooting like under forty. I would have loved like, for Russell to be a Nick, though. That would have been oh yeah, so great. Um, that would have been a perfect spot for right. him. Uh, the next guy, you know, stud. The drum dog. Do <laughs> uh, you want to talk? You wrote this one up, right? Yeah, I did write about Andre Drummond. I think he he might have been the first player that I drafted because I just at this like I'm just enamored with these rebounding numbers. It's getting out of control. Like I wait. I did you don't... did you see that one um, post play he had the other day where it was like like hard dribble, like sort of like spin and then just yep. like dunk over like two guys. Like yeah. he's, he's... We had a couple against Portland the other night too. I, I think it was like Plumlee or, or Leonard was defending him and just. Myers like, Leonard, shout out to Ken and, and Shannon. Yeah, well, he went down with a dislocated shoulder last night. The K-Train's going to be distraught. <laughs> the, the, the great Myers Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, he's, his post game has developed more than anything, I, I think, this year. And he's not shooting a great percentage, especially for someone who – you know, gets a ton of his looks right at the rim. Fifty-three um, percent. It, w- it was down under like fifty or forty-five percent for the first few games, but he's he's gotten that back up. I still think he can be high fifties, low sixties, just because again where those looks come. But maybe if he does become more of a guy who you know, who ta- who makes dribble moves and and takes hook shots, that's never really something he did before. Mm-hmm. You know, he was kind of a DeAndre Jordan in a lot of ways, a lot of putbacks, a lot of you know no dribble type of shots, just dishes, finishes, stuff like that. But is his upside kind of like peak Dwight Howard, like Orlando yeah. Magic peak. Yeah, I think it is, but I don't know if he'll ever be that kind of defender. I mean, Dwight was an insane mm-hmm. defender. It's so easy to forget now because Dwight's career has kind of gone in very weird right. directions since then. But I mean, there was nobody that defended like Dwight, and, right. and I don't think Drummond kind of has those instincts quite yet. I mean, Dwight was a dominant defensive player even as a rookie, and, and obviously as he got bigger and bulked up, things kind of went from there. But I think he's a better rebounder than Howard. Mm-hmm. He works harder uh, on both ends of, as a rebounder. I mean, we talked about that clip I think I tweeted from it was either Monday's or Sunday's game where he just manhandled Ed Davis out of the way. And Marcus Morris took some ill-advised, like, fadeaway five-footer, and Drummond was, like, pinned under the hoop. And within, like, one second, he just kind of backed his way into perfect rebounding position, grabbed it, put it back up. And, like, there just really isn't anyone else in the league who works like that. Mm-hmm. And 
whether that's sustainable for uh, you know the next eight years, who knows? I mean, it's a, that's a lot to ask of anybody. But if you're willing to outwork guys like that, the rebounding holders are going to come naturally. All right. So the next guy, Jalil Okafor, I uh, projected him at 26 points, 12 and a half boards, three assists, uh, just under a steal a game, uh, 1.2 blocks per game, 60% from the field, uh, 75% from the free throw line. Uh, shout out to the the Duke fan that's that's always commenting on these pieces. Whenever whenever we mention like Okafor and Towns in the same article, and you know insinuate that Towns is better, there's a guy with a his username is is clearly like it's he's a Blue Devils fan. Like he has the the term Blue Devil is in his uh, nickname or in his username on the site. So not coming from a place of a lacking of bias, but it's not really close between Towns and Okafor as to who has the higher ceiling. And that's not a slight at Okafor. I just projected him as a 12, 26 and 12 and a half guy. I mean, that's that's a guy that could make a handful of all-star teams. So uh, nothing against him. It's, it's just where Okafor is awesome, Towns is also awesome. And where Okafor is lacking, Towns is awesome. So, like, right. it's it's not a, not a slight at it's Okafor. It's going to be an interesting duel. You know, if, if Philadelphia ever figures it out, which eventually they kind of have to, they can't, they can't do this for the next 15 years, can they? And maybe. But, you know, those two are always going to be linked. Right. You know, in a, in a lot of ways. And, you know, two big men at the top of the draft with contrasting styles going up against each other is going to be fun to watch over the next decade or so. But we got to wrap this up. Yep. Uh, we got. I think our studio time is running out here. Some, some guys got to get in here to do do some more video. But, uh, we'll, I mean, there's still a few guys left on our list. Some Let's the, just – we can run down. Yeah. Like, so we, our next one was Rudy Gobert. After that, we had Clint Capella, Dante Axum, Justice Winslow, and Victor Oladipo, and Julius Randle, and Kristaps Porzingis, and Zach Levine. That, that, a lot of guys we didn't get to. Uh, any, of, any of those guys you want to touch on really quick? I thought Capella was an interesting addition here. Um, Levine, you know, he's probably the most questionable of just about anybody. Yeah. I mean, it's, this is basically athleticism alone. I mean, mm-hmm. he was a guy who – I think he impressed me on the whole, uh, playing point guard, playing out of position. I think he's a two long-term. But with that kind of athleticism, the upside is going to be there. Maybe could we could have put Clay Thompson on this list, but you know, we talked about this at lunch yesterday too. Just a guy that – I don't like we know what he is his game right. is his game and, and you know the numbers might increase with volume but he's he's just going to be a steady shooter good defender decent rebounding <clears throat> decent rebounding numbers decent passer first position like they're just not like the, you don't see, there's not one phase of his game where you think man if he could do this he'd be so much better like, he is so solid all around Beal probably that, could have been on this list that's the arguments. same my, my argument against putting Beal on was just that I, I think that his ceiling is basically uh like a good like Clay Thompson's best years, you know, I, I don't see Beal. Beal's ceiling doesn't eclipse Thompson's to me, and Thompson isn't quite like when I'm talking about guys to put on this list. I'm talking about guys that could be kind of perennial top tw- 10, 12 fantasy picks in their prime. I just don't really see that from Thompson, even though I, I'd love what he brings in terms of efficiency. It's just I, I don't see him being the get that type of volume guy. Uh, Love what I've seen from Julius Randle. Victor Oladipo's really kind of raised his game uh, another level this year. Definitely, definitely happy to see that. Uh, Capella and and Gobert. I projected both those guys to possibly get to four blocks a game in their prime, just because I think they're both kind of that special in terms of rim protection. Uh, a lot of people might 
scoff at the Dante Exum thing, but I, I, I'm a huge, I'm still all over that bandwagon, and it's just going to take some time. Uh, Justice Winslow, not not the superstar type of ceiling, but a guy that could be helpful across the board. So uh, a lot of other guys, you know, we talked about Porzingis a little bit. Um, you know, definitely check it out on the site. If you go to rotowire.com slash pod, is it pod or podcast? Pod. If you go to slash podcast, that'll bring you to the page. Yeah, you okay. Go, go to rotowire.com slash pod. You can get a 10-day uh, free trial on us, and you don't know, you know, we don't take a credit card or anything like that, so just just check it out. You can try to give us your credit card info. We will not <laughs> yeah, take it. Yeah, we won't take it. You just you can check it out for ten days. Uh, so yeah, do that. And uh, I mean, people, a guy mentioned CJ McCollum. Uh, not really in the in the mix here, although I do do like him quite a bit. You're wrong. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the upside probably isn't there for him. But yeah, again, we're sponsored by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. You can use that promo code RotoHoops for a free contest entry today. Like James said, go to RotoWire.com. You can check out the article we've been talking about. You can check out all of our other NBA content. Obviously, a ton of NFL content and in uh, our baseball magazine. I know you guys are already prepping for that, so that'll be out in a few months. A lot of off-season stuff. You guys were just down in Arizona uh, at the end of last week scouting fall league guys, so a lot of write-ups on that. If you're into if you're into fantasy baseball or, or just prospects as a whole, be sure to check out James's work there. But uh, we got to get out of here, so we'll be back next week Thursday.